So this evening's reading is found on page 1089 of your Bibles in the Church Bibles. And we're going to be start John 20, starting at verse 24. So that's at the bottom of the page there. 1089, John 20, starting at verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And uh, let me pray for us as we start together this evening. Father God, we thank you that we can be gathered together in this place. We thank you that we can together look at your word and that we can together go from this place knowing you better and knowing how we can battle doubt better as well. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me tell you about some different people. Barbara is a retired missionary who spent many, many years serving the Lord in South America. Shortly after she arrived back, she was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer. Many friends around the world have been praying for her to be healed, but those prayers seemingly haven't been answered. She is questioning whether or not there can be a good and loving God if she has been allowed to suffer from such a horrible, demeaning illness after such a a lifetime of faithful service. Jeremy. Jeremy is a a committed Christian in his 20s. He has long struggled with an addiction to internet pornography. Much of the time he is able to resist those lustful desires, but there will still be instances in his life where he messes up. This often happens when he's feeling low, lonely, unhappy, and these repeated failures make him feel that He can't be a true believer. How can he be forgiven and have the Holy Spirit living in him when he keeps failing and sinning in this way? Kezia can't remember a time when she didn't believe in Jesus. Her family taught her from an early age that the Bible is true and trustworthy. She is now studying at uni and is really involved with her church and the CU there. 
During her time at uni, she's become good friends with a theology student who's told her that actually the Bible is full of contradictions that can't really be taken at face value. Kezia is beginning to wonder if she can really trust the Bible and keep believing in the Jesus that she was once told about. Was it just a childhood phase? John has been a Christian for more than 20 years. He has never experienced any significant periods in his life where he has questioned his faith. But he is troubled from time to time, occasionally finding himself wondering for no apparent reason whether what he believes can actually be true. He looks around him at the people at work, at the people in the media, people who aren't Christians, who say, well, there can't be a God. They're all around him. And he wonders whether or not it can be true, whether or not there's something fundamentally wrong with his faith for even wondering such things. I wonder which of those stories you most related to. I wonder if there are any that particularly struck a chord with you. Doubt is a battle that we will all fight at some point in our lives. It's a battle fought by those from every kind of background and upbringing. It is without doubt a serious battle that many Christians will face. Now, do you want the good news or the bad news? Well, we're going to start off with the bad news, because you don't really have a choice. The bad news is that we live in a time where absolute truths are scoffed at, where the very idea of knowing something for sure was actually laughable. A time where evangelical Christians are increasingly viewed as arrogant, narrow-minded, bigoted, and even extremists. And as a result, to hold on to our Christian convictions, that's something we build our lives around and shape our lives around, is something that is increasingly harder and harder to do. Inevitably, this will lead to doubt. It's not just pressures, though, from the outside, is it, that cause us to increasingly doubt our Christian convictions. We're going through a series of battles Christians face, as Tim has mentioned, and we've looked at lust, guilt, and we'll look at depression and pride, and these are battles that so many of us will be facing. And it's our struggle with sin that can so often lead to personal doubt. Doubt that will so often rob the Christian of their joy, their peace, their delight in God. It will prevent the Christian from serving God wholeheartedly, sacrificially. Doubt is one of the struggles that many Christians will battle with. And yet, it is more often than not a hidden struggle, a battle faced alone. We think, don't we, as Christians, that we're meant to be people of faith. And so to admit that we're struggling with doubt, to show people our shortcomings, well, as a Christian, we shouldn't be facing doubt, should we? The bad news is that at St. Mary's, in our house groups, at Connect, at Cypher, in our Christian friendship circles, we will tell ourselves that this is a battle that good Christians don't face. You shouldn't be facing. And, and as a result, we end up 
battling doubt alone. You might fear that other Christians will respect you less, perhaps take you off the rotor. Maybe that'd be a good thing for you, I don't know. (laughs) Or even, to some extent, withdraw their friendship from you. In an age of scepticism and uncertainty, of ever-changing moral standards, where where evangelicals are seen as extremists, in this time, many, many Christians will be facing doubt and yet they will be facing it alone. That's the bad news, and it's pretty bad, but thankfully, thankfully there was also some good news this evening. The good news is that even though Christians and churches tend not to be open and honest about doubt, the Bible faces the problem head on. And tonight we can zoom in on the life of someone who couldn't have really been much closer to Jesus, and yet he struggled with massive doubts. The Bible, God's word, is always relevant for us today. But as I prepared this talk from this passage, I was struck by just how contemporary a figure Thomas is. Our passage uh, for this evening is at John 20. It'd be helpful if you had it open in front of you. And it's a story of Thomas's doubt. And it slots really easily into those other stories that we heard about earlier at the beginning. This account of the disciple known as Doubting Thomas is so relevant for a society full of doubt, so relevant for us here this evening. As we begin, we need to recognise, though, that doubt is not sinful. It's not wrong, but it is dangerous. If not addressed properly, further down the road, it could lead from us going from faith to unbelief. Now, it won't be an overnight switch from being a strong, active Christian, but as that doubt gnaws and gnaws away at our confidence and what we believe, we feel increasingly disconnected from God, spiritually cold. I'm sure many of us will be able to empathise with that. I've alluded to it already, but this evening, as we come to tackle this topic, we see that there are two big areas where we battle against doubt, and that's outside doubt and inside doubt. And by that, I mean we doubt in what we believe outside of us, apologetics, and doubt in our own belief, the quality of our faith, the sense of assurance. So questioning the subject of our faith and questioning the quality of our own faith. When I asked our 20s group Connect about the kind of questions and remarks that they have heard and faced in regards to facing that outside doubt, they responded with the following. The Bible is just a collection of stories that have been changed over time. Why would a good God let children suffer and die? Is being gay really wrong? Can we still really believe in miracles? How can we believe when science now explains everything? It all happened such a long time ago. Is God still there? How do you know Jesus was the Son of God and not just another good man? Did Jesus actually exist? Why have we not seen God? Why does God allow suffering? How can the church be so fallen and messed up? We hear those criticisms and the questions 
that we so often have to face from our friends and colleagues, and we don't have the answers. We begin to doubt the historical accuracy of the Bible, the existence of Jesus, the claims of the gospel. We doubt our faith. Well, in response to those kinds of doubts, in a world of scepticism, in a world that demands evidence, we see Jesus here in John 20, entering the scene and saying, peace be with you, peace be with you. And he offers just that, peace to doubting hearts and evidence to sceptical minds. As we delve into this passage, we see three things that the Christian uh, about the Christian faith. And the first is this. Christian faith is built on firm foundations. Contrary to the assumption that many of the people around us will have, the Bible insists that the Christian faith is reasonable. Whilst our faith should never remain simply an academic process in our heads, but something that affects our hearts and our personalities as well, it is never separate from reason. It is rational. We want evidence, the world says, that Jesus was God's son, that he lived, died, and rose from the dead. We have four eyewitness accounts right here in the Gospels in front of you. We've read from John's Gospel of how Jesus came to Thomas and said, you want evidence? Put your finger in the scars in my hands and in my side. Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Doubting Thomas, who said, I will not believe unless I have evidence, is blown away. My Lord and my God. In response to such evidence, in response to the truth that Jesus lives, he can do nothing but worship. Worship Jesus. Thomas doesn't stop thinking when he says, my Lord and my God, in verse 28, entering the realm of mysticism or some airy, fairy concept of belief. No, it's quite the opposite. He is convinced in his mind. He saw and he believed. And it's not just here that we're provided with this doubt-demolishing evidence. John points us to seven miracles in his eyewitness account, seven signs that point us to the reality of who Jesus was. He concludes this chapter by stating in verse 30, have a look, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. As we battle with doubt, and we will, we can recognize that this book was written for the very purpose of allowing us to battle with doubt, to believe with confidence, to know that our faith is built on firm foundations, the firm foundations of historical fact. So Christian faith is built on firm foundations. But secondly, faith is also faith. Whilst Thomas in this passage believed on the basis of what he saw with his own eyes, we cannot expect to experience the same physical evidence today. Jesus said to Thomas in verse 29, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is referring to us here. You could read it as, 
Blessed are those at St. Mary's who have not seen and yet have believed. We need to be clear about what we mean by faith. It's not what Richard Dawkins uh, says, uh, means when he says, faith means blind trust in the absence of evidence. No, faith for the Christian is belief based on what others saw. Now, I can't prove to you this evening that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus will not perform a special resurrection appearance for us here this evening at St. Mary's so we can overcome any doubts we might have. No, we are called to believe on the eyewitness accounts that the Gospels provide us with. Yes, we have firm foundations in historical facts, but we also have to have faith without seeing We, as 21st century Christians, are blessed because we believe without seeing. Faith is faith. And we also see that the Christian faith is vital. It is vital. We can sometimes fall into the danger of seeing our faith as just another part of our Twitter bio. Lives in Basingstoke, loves playing football, reading good books, and Jesus. And that's kind of how our thinking can often go. People can slip into seeing their faith as just another hobby. The age of individualism says, whatever does it for you is great for you, whether that's Islam or Christianity, atheism or the Bake Off. But our Christian faith is not an optional extra. It's a matter of life and death. Have another look at verse 31. But these are written, that ye may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life is on offer here. But it comes through belief, and belief in Jesus' name alone. Vaughan Roberts mentions in his book, um, and I've seen it myself on a few different university campuses, where uh, CU hoodies have been worn that says on the back, no, as in N-O, no Jesus, no life. But on the front it says no, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no life. We battle doubt, knowing that our faith isn't just another fact to give during those awkward icebreakers, but rather the very thing that gives us hope for the future life for eternity. Our faith is reasonable. It does require faith, and it is a matter of life and death. Knowing all that, holding on to that, will enable us to face those doubts when it comes to what we're believing in, the apologetics of our faith. And that's the outward struggle. But how about the inner struggle? How about our own doubts that are focused within on the quality of our own faith? on our own sense of assurance. Well, again, I put it to the Connect group and asked them uh, to share some of the inner doubts that people struggle with, and they said these things. Am I really good enough for God? Am I really forgiven when I carry on sinning? How can I be sure about my faith when sometimes God feels so far away? How do I, why do I struggle to feel joyful in my Christian life? Is my faith real? Do I actually have saving faith if I don't always feel it is true? If I'm really a Christian, why do I keep on sinning? 
Am I the only one doubting? Why would God choose me over others? Why doesn't Christianity feel special to me? What if I don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit? When I pray, it feels like there's no one there. Christians will so, so often feel a real lack of assurance in so many different areas and ways. And it can be so hard facing those doubts, wondering if we're the only ones. And I think for many of us here this evening, this will be an area of doubt that we will struggle with more. Yes, there will be some hard apologetic questions to grapple with, but when it comes to personal doubt, we can feel so lost, so unsure, so alone. Well, again, we can also see that there is good news in this area too. We can't always help the feelings that come into our hearts and the thoughts that come into our minds, but we can make sure that we respond to them wisely. Three Ps that you can hold on to when you're questioning your salvation, when you're doubting your own conversion, when you're unsure about your eternal hope. And those are prayer, perspective, and perseverance. Prayer. Never stop talking to God. He knows our thoughts and our feelings, so there's no point in trying to hide them from him in a way that we might try and conceal our doubts from other Christians. Silence is the vacuum in which doubts will grow and spread like cancer. As we speak to God, our Heavenly Father, we remind ourselves of who he is. We thank him for his love, his care, his devotion to us. We thank him for Jesus. We thank him for the cross. And in doing so, we're reminding ourselves of who we are. We're loved, cared for, the subject of God's devotion. We're the ones Jesus came to earth for. We're the ones that Jesus died for. It's as we approach God in prayer and bring those big questions of doubt to him that we can remind ourselves of who he is and who we are. There is no greater cure for worry, anxiety or doubt than to know that we are children in the loving arms of our Father. Our second P is perspective. C.S. Lewis uh, writes in his Screwtape letters, um, which are letters from uh, a senior devil to a junior devil, about how to torment Christians and cause them to fall away from their faith. In one letter, it goes like this. The best way to make them atheists is to get them thinking not about God, but about their own states of mind about God. As a result, they will be so preoccupied by their own feelings and doubts that they stop turning to him. C.S. Lewis is making the point that through, uh, making the point through his character Screwtrip that if all the Christians, uh, if all Christians focus is on whether or not they are believing, on the quality of their faith, on their own doubts, then their focus will not be on God. I remember when I was learning to ride a bike, my brother Dan would come and try to help me learn to ride a bike. And he would set me on the bike and then would go ahead of me by about 10 metres. And he would say, Steve, as you pick up some pace, just keep your eyes fixed on me. Keep your eyes on me and you'll be fine. And what he said was true. I was finally learning how to ride a bike as I looked at my big brother Dan. But, and I'm sure you can empathise, 
I started then occasionally to look down. And as I saw the ground hurtling underneath me and beside me, well, that's when I started to wobble and inevitably fell off, often onto a clump of nettles, as I do remember it. It was quite painful. And it's like that with our doubts. A bit of attention towards them can so easily take our eyes off of God as we look to ourselves and how well or badly we're doing. It's then that our spiritual confidence starts to crumble around us. As soon as we pay our doubts more attention than we give to God, then we're locked into a vicious circle from which it can be so difficult to escape. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should ignore our doubts. On a brief side note, it would be great to have some more questions after the service. Tim and I and whoever's preaching or leading will be out in the atrium, and it's great to actually hear your questions, to know that you're grappling with the truths that we're sharing with you from God's word. Tim Keller puts it like this. A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or too indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. So don't hear this, uh, don't hear this talk this evening as a condemnation of doubt. Please, rather, as Keller says, actively think through what you hear and what you believe. But what I'm saying here is that we also need to be sure, we also need to ensure that our doubts don't take over. In the midst of all our uncertainties, we have to keep reminding ourselves of what we do know. If I'm meeting with my colleague Tim tomorrow morning for uh, a meeting, a chat, and I'm 15 minutes late, Tim probably isn't going to think that I've become horribly ill. He knows me well enough that I'm probably just being too optimistic about my time, or perhaps my car has broken down, something like that. And it's again the same with us and God. We might face some really hard questions, some things that cause us to have doubts, but we need to keep the big picture in perspective. It's like the photo factor. Where do you look first when you see a photo? Well, at yourself, of course, if you're anything like me. When you're having doubts, where do you look first? Ourselves. Our struggle with sin. Our sense of distance from God. Our guilt. Our suffering. Or do we look to God? To Jesus? When we're struggling with doubts about our salvation, whether We've sinned too much. We need to get the right perspective and see that at the cross, our sin was dealt with. In Micah 7.19, we can read, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Our focus needs to be on God and not on ourselves. And this change in perspective will affect every area of our lives all of our doubts. These past few weeks, we've carried on in our series of battles Christians face, and we've been looking at the life of King David. And we've seen in 2 Samuel that as he struggled with the battle of lust, he did some truly evil things. Adultery, deceit, murder. 
And the following week, as we looked at Psalm 32, we saw that as a result of this, David felt a great sense of guilt. A guilt that crippled him, caused him to be physically and spiritually drained. It's easy to picture the doubts that he would have had in in his mind during this time. The sin, the guilt, the sense of distance between him and God. And perhaps we can empathise with that as well. Well, wonderfully, David gets the right perspective, confesses to the forgiving God, takes his eyes off himself, and instead he puts them on God. He says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Another Old Testament character, Job, when having to face unimaginable suffering, would battle against serious doubts. But God gives him a glimpse of the bigger picture, gives him a taste of his awesome power. And as Job stands there, open-mouthed, he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. As the story closes, Job, despite the great suffering, keeps the right perspective as he keeps his eyes fixed on God. David doubts as he dwells on his many sins. Job doubts in the midst of great suffering. Thomas doubts because he needed evidence. In each and every case, they doubt because they look to themselves. But as they look to God, their faith is secure. Their confidence is restored. If we want to be counted amongst them, then we need to be reminding ourselves again and again of exactly who God is and what he's like. And we do this by reading his word. Maybe if we spent a little bit less time on Facebook and looking in the mirror, dwelling on ourselves and our own defects, and rather spend more time looking at God's goodness in his word, then perhaps this battle with doubts will be that much easier to fight. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to immerse yourself in God's godness through his word. Only then can we hope to battle doubt. Finally then, and briefly, perseverance. I wonder if there are any perfectionists here amongst us this evening. I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I remember when I first started at St. Mary's about three years ago, about a week after working there, um, Cara decided to cover pretty much everything in my office with cling film, and it was very, very stressful because everything had been moved around. My neat office was in disarray. Very stressful. Well, you might be a perfectionist when it comes to this question of doubt. We struggle to move past a certain issue, a certain topic, a question that can't quite be answered. We can't cope with loose ends. Well, if that's you, then we need to realise that we can't simply put our Christian lives on hold because not everything is resolved. We live in a fallen world, and we're not God. And we're never going to have all of the answers. But we can persevere in our Christian walks knowing that one day we will do. 
when we're with God, free of the struggles, free of the, suffer- of the suffering, and free of the doubt, we will know. On that day, we will not just believe, but like Thomas, we will see as well. So despite the doubts, despite the battles, we can persevere. Keep on keeping on as Christians, clinging onto God's character and looking forward to the day when we can see him face to face and all the battles will be won. As we close, let me remind you again, do you please be speaking to one another about these questions, about your doubts, and particularly to any of us on the staff team here at St. Mary's. You'll see on the back of your evening service sheet some books that I'm, I'm recommending on this topic of doubt. This is a huge topic, and I've only had a little bit of time this evening to cover it. Amy's book is really helpful on the apologetic side of things. John's book on our own self, our own sense of assurance. And again, we're going to keep plugging Vaughan's book, as is what we're looking at in this series. Let me pray as we close together this evening. Father God, like Thomas in this passage, and like so many other people in the, in the Bible, and so many people around us, we struggle with doubt. From those questions that come from the outside, and from those questions that come from the inside. We can struggle with doubt, and we can be left feeling so alone and so confused and so unsure. Help us, to know this, help us to know this evening that we can know, that we can know you, and we can know the answers to those questions as we hold on to your good character. Help us to persevere as Christians who battle for you. We ask this in your name. Amen.